Good morning, my friends. Well, morning for uh, some of us, anyway. Well, some of us, anyway. Uh, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, shockingly, as always, for a morning show, is your co-host, Jim. Shocking. Yeah, yeah, you're working from home today, so that's it's nice to have you here. Uh, also joining us uh, is your co-host, Spaz. Morning, everybody. And we have two guests, uh, y'all, joining us from uh, Portugal, first in Odemira, uh, the uh, developer and game designer of Interstellar Space Genesis, uh, the game we're talking about today, Adam Solo. Hello. And happy also, to be here. Yeah, we're, we're very happy you're here, too. And also joining us from Portugal, but in Lisbon, uh, developer and art director of the game, Hugo Rosado. 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 Hello, Hello all. Yeah, it's perfect. Wow. Uh, glad to be here. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us, folks. Um, uh, we are here to talk about your uh, Master of Orion 2 homage. Not, you know, not direct port, clearly, but, you know. Uh, love Fest. Let's call it a Master of Orion 2 Love Fest. Uh, Interstellar Space Genesis. Uh, now, I have a... My first question is, your company is called Praxis Games, right? Right. Is that named after the moon that exploded in Star Trek Six? Well, that was one uh, idea. <laughs> that was one of the things we liked about it, yes. No, well, not the the source of the name, but one of them. Yes, <laughs> I can confirm. That's awesome because that's that's I that's the first thing I thought of. Because, anyway. because in, in in late uh, in uh, Latin, a praxis means uh, it's the heart of doing something. So the, the idea is to is to tell that it's the heart of doing games. So that's yeah. the idea. That was also the, the idea, oh. yes. It's one of the ideas. <laughs> yeah, so think uh, like the root of Axis being in that. I got it. So uh, <laughs> so let's, let's start at the beginning. Uh, Adam, for many years, if folks don't know, you ran an awesome, awesome, awesome space game news site, blog, uh, review site called Space Sector. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, uh, and uh, what what was the impetus to uh, change direction from running uh, the site to actually making your own game? And you could admit that it was actually us that we were. <laughs> no, come on. Yeah, I mean, competition was just too fierce. He's, uh, he's here like Jon Snow. To come on. <laughs> no, no, not not at all. Um, yeah, for for several years, we started in 2009, so like eight years. Um, we've been running, growing the site, and it was a great experience. Uh, uh, I had a lot of fun. Uh, the contributors were, did a fantastic job. Um, and uh, I think we managed to create a, a great community around um, what at the time was... Um, was a genre that was a bit dormant. Uh, there weren't that many uh, space strategy games at the time, maybe a couple, but not really uh, one or, t- or two a year, but more like one in three years or four years. Oh, so God, yeah. That was a... neat, and the first article was really the beginning. Is what, well, what's next? It was the article, and I was really keen to 
to develop that and to see where we could go uh, with the site. And it started growing. The, the community was starting to form. And there were some year, and we were growing every week, every year. So yeah, it was not lack of audience or, or that let that led us to to another path. It was really, I think, this may sound a bit cheesy or cliche, but like a calling, like a calling for a mission uh, to do something uh, about it, to do something about the genre that was. Uh, what was the site about mostly was about forex games and we could see in the community that there was a great hunger and great need for for good space forex games and other types of forex games of course and and every time i was seeing that people really wanted uh, that game and that game was not coming uh, that game, uh, well, there were several tries, there were other ventures, but really <laughs> yeah. nobody nobody picked up the formula. One way or the other, the formula would get very uh, distorted and you would end up with a different game, which is okay, but never fulfilling that desire. Of course, this was five to six years ago. Um, and then there was this moment, that's what you say, when, when did you start to think to shift? Well, I think the moment was uh, around middle 2012 with an article call, called Master of Orion 4 um, Cause, because at the time Kickstarter was a big thing, was appearing, and we will be starting to see games appearing there. And why not? I started that article to see what the communities thought about it. Hey, wouldn't it be cool to see a Master of Orion-inspired game in Kickstarter? There are all kinds of games now appearing. And the response was huge. I already knew that there were, there most of the community, not all, of course, was very fond of Master of Orion, the Master of Orion series, of course. And so, and people there were saying, well, maybe we should do something about it. Maybe you should do something about it, but nothing very uh, specific. But that, that idea started brewing in my mind. And um, I already had that uh, desire to one day develop my own game. It's one of my long-time dreams to, to work on games, apart from, okay, being an astronaut that didn't materialize, but close, <laughs> because I worked, I worked in the space industry for quite some, quite some time uh, in space sector. Yeah, so, you, so you know. Oh, oh you don't know that. <laughs> I, I worked on the space sector, Portuguese space sector, in, in the European Space Agency. Space oh, agency wow. for six months, and, yeah, and in the Portuguese space sector for eight years, and I had a blast. Uh, some things didn't turn out all, all right, and, but that was personal issues, mostly not problem in the in the company. And uh, I decided to do my own thing, and then I moved on. But this to say that it was a long time dream. So I I, I, I felt that I felt the calling, the feeling to. To do something about it, so the idea starts brewing, and eventually uh, I decided. Uh, I asked my colleagues. I, well, I basically informed them that, that I had that uh, desire, and they supported me and said, "Well, and let's face it, at the time we were not alone. You were you were around. Explorminate was around. There were other sites picking up on the genre. So I felt, well, this is not going to be left uh, in the void. No, so. Why not? So I embraced the cause, and here we are. Five to six years later, here we are. Yeah, we should have you uh, talk to our, our guest from last week sometime. 
Uh, I'd, I'd like to be a fly on the wall for that conversation because he was he was a NASA employee for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right, PSA. So yeah, it would it would be great <laughs> to, to share the European Space Agency uh, experience with NASA. So can you tell us the truth about flying saucers? Maybe to speak about that. Well, unfortunately, nobody there disclosed anything. So, so, so here's the thing. You're right that a lot of people have made the attempt to emulate Master of Orion, and hey, no one's really. Let's just be honest. There have been a lot of not so great. <laughs> uh, what What do you think it is about? Uh, Master of Orion 2 especially, that w- makes uh, all these developers want to try striking lightning again. Because that's it, basically Master of Orion 1 and 2 were kind of like lightning in a bottle. Like, there have been attempts to emulate it, but they haven't been the most successful, you know? Well, it, it's a track record that's a lot like uh, like the original XCOM, right? It's like we went, what, 20 years? Nobody could manage to make a, a decent XCOM clone. But there weren't, and, att- there wasn't attempt after attempt after attempt like there is with this show. Oh, oh, yes, there was. Come yeah, on. There was. was there? Oh, yeah. There was a lot. <laughs> they, uh, you don't know them because they were all pretty terrible. Oh. But, yeah. You might be right. But, but, uh, but, yeah, Master of Orion 2, though, it's like if you look at every 4X game that's out there right now, uh, especially this year being just an avalanche of 4X games. Oh, dear and, Lord. And they're all sort of, you know, it, is, is your game more Master of Orion 1 inspired or, or what? Because it seems like Master of Orion 2 has been pretty heavily mined this year. Sorry, that was a question? To uh, me? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I was just wondering if, if yours leans more toward the mechanics of Master of Orion 1 or 2. Well, it has a few inspirations, of course, uh, by inherency, because Master of Orion 2 also picked up just from that. I mean, the turn-based tactical combat or the ship designer or that Master of Orion 2 evolved. But you mean strictly from well, I mean, from I mean, the Master like- of Orion 1. Yes, there are. There were, there were a couple big inspirations that come up to my mind, yes, directly from Master of Orion 1, namely the tech tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the technology works is a bit more akin to their, to Master of Orion 1 and while well, Master of Orion 2 combined. The, the random part comes from the Master of Orion 1 formula. And, and, um, and then another area where we picked up a bit from Master of Orion 1 was also how how seamless and very streamlined was it was to develop your colonies there, but of course not with so much not so much streamlined. But, but also, what I mean is to find a middle ground between Master of Orion one and Master of Orion two ways of developing the colonies, because you could just set your sliders and develop your infrastructure in the Master of Orion one, while in Master of Orion two you had to build everything. And it was quite a lot, as you know. As we know, it's one part of the game that was not very particularly streamlined and caused some headaches, especially late, late game. So we picked mm-hmm. up more that idea of okay, how maybe we could just allocate areas, okay, it's like sliders. We have sliders in in there, or a triangle uh, location if you prefer, 
and just don't worry about it too much. I just want to focus the production on those areas and then go to my own thing. Or if you want, you can fine-tune that and also build stuff that you will not find as many buildings, maybe, but more probably meaningful buildings. So we tried to fuse a bit a, a Master of Orion one in there for the seamless part to try to negate the heavy micromanagement. Yeah, Master folks, of Orion 2. Yeah, folks, so that's what comes from the top of my mind. Yeah, folks, if you're unaware, it's kind of neat. For planetary management, you have a a power triangle similar to the one in, um, say, Iwar, I think, uh, where you can move the triangle around and you can change. Oh, uh, I think Starport Gemini also does this, where you can move the uh, power to three different things based on what you want, like industry uh, and ecology. Yeah. And what's the third one? Industry. And pl- plain construction. So construction. Plain construction like right. Buildings. Right. And, and ships. But one thing I also liked about the uh, the planet, which uh, the planet stuff, is that when, once you colonize stuff, you can choose a specialization for that specific planet. It can be like, I want this planet to build ships. I want this to be a planet of industry. You know, mm-hmm. I I really like that because it th- that was the thing I was enjoying. Um, is that I mean, in the early game, it, not so much, but as as things start to evolve, you keep getting interesting decisions thrown at you. So was that a conscious design decision to uh, consistently and constantly give the player decisions to make every turn if possible? It was. It was. I mean, that comes right from the source, right? From uh, uh, the the civilization games, from Sid Meier's philosophy that I follow or try to follow. And that I I think it's the, the right... Uh, way to 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 provide more depth to a game is to to present the players with uh, with decisions and options that have an impact uh, and that are as closely as in waste as possible so that you can have a moment where you you will gain pleasure from deciding where do you want to invest more what you want to take out from something so yes, we tried to do, we tried to do that, and it's not easy because you cannot overdo it. Um, it must be, have an impact of some sort, and uh, especially it, try to have some synergy. So you will see that in the infrastructure spe- specialization that you see, that you can specialize your uh, colonies and make decisions there of where you want to go, where you want to specialize, and you have uh, you know other areas. Uh, as well, so yes, it was a cons- it was a conscious decision to provide uh, meaningful decisions to the player. You will see th- that in the research, uh, where you will have to make some mutually exclusive decisions, or or in the social engineering culture system, where you will also want need to do some mutually exclusive decisions on how you want to level up your civilization in space. Now, I got to say one thing I really loved is the multi-layered exploration mechanic because I don't know about y'all, but exploration is my favorite part of any 4X. And not only do you guys have, you know, the standard, you know, let's send a ship around to check the systems. Uh, you also have kind of a kind of a Hubble telescope type thing going where you point your stuff at a sector and it takes several turns. I, I don't think I've ever seen this in a game where you point – like your, let's say your Hubble telescope at a sector and it takes like four to eight turns 
to find something there that your ships might not have found. Like yesterday, I found a rogue planet that my ships never found as they were flying about. I thought that was great. Where, yes, where, did, yeah. where did that come from? That was, that's an awesome yeah, idea. That comes really from the beginning. Uh, and I think it's one of those things that, that will set us apart because it's really one mechanic that it's not, has not been seen much or at all. Um, Agreed. This idea that uh, crossed the mind of some of us in some time ago, and we discussed this, I'm sure, in the, in the forums and in spacesector.com itself, where there were people discussing this, and we are well, why aren't there? I mean, we have telescopes, for God's sake. Why, why can't we see some things uh, right from, the, from remotely? And yep. we thought that was a good idea to explore, and uh, but of course we had to find a way to translate it to to an uh, to a fun mechanic and so we st- that was one of the first prototypes i think we did for the game uh, in terms of gameplay was to see if it could work and it was it was a quite a challenge to to make it work so that it would be fun and not just make it too much or or, or make it appealing so and in general people are reacting to it very positively they like it very much. They say it's a very nice way to to do some more meaningful stuff in the beginning, and they feel it's great to be discovering things. So you may discover hidden uh, systems that you don't uh, knew before, and this is linked with real physics. Like uh, there are some objects that we that right now we really can't find uh, yet, or we can only make a guess that they are there. Stellar remnants like black holes, neutron stars, other exotic objects, or brown dwarfs, white dwarfs. So these kind of things will pop up. And uh, we also thought about, well, wouldn't it be cool also to not know everything about your systems right from the beginning? Okay, you can move your ships, but in Master of Orion 2 and in many other games, probably almost all of them, you go and that's it. You find everything about that system. So we thought, well, here's a good opportunity to, to... you can send your ships, and if they, but, they have, but if they are regular ships, if they are not survey ships, then you only see uh, some part of the story. You will not know if it's rich or not, or if it has a special. So you remotely, you can over time uncover that. So we thought that was working pretty well, and we're confident that um, it will be a, a good selling point for the game, because it's... Uh, at least uh, right now, uh, quite innovative. And it's being well-received, as I said. Yeah, yeah that's the thing sorry. that uh, in these games has always kind of troubled me, and, and I'm glad to see that you're addressing it. Um, where, you know, just here from Earth, we can look at other stars around, and we might not know what the weather's like, but we know that there's a planet there, and it's in, it's in a habitable range. And, and such. So, you know, we, we can say, well, the, this system over here, we know that there's five exoplanets. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we don't know if they're livable or not, but we, we can tell that that's a good prospect. We should maybe send a probe there. Um, and that, but that's a, another thing that I've kind of wondered about too, is, uh, whenever, whenever humans finally do, if, if we live that long, uh, send out, you know, to other planets, I'm, I'm thinking like the first thing that we would do instead of just sending like a ship full of people would be uh, like some sort of automated probe, almost, you know, like the robots that we send to Mars, except yeah. that we'd fling that to Alpha Centauri and see what's there. Um, and I don't, I don't know if anybody has ever addressed that where, where you actually send uh, like mechanical stuff first. And it's, it's not a, 
you know, you're not risking your people or whatever, but it might take like more time to get that info back. Yeah. We are abstracting that in a sense. So when you do remote exploration, you are using your telescopes, of course, but you can, you can think that uh, robotic uh, uh, probes are being sent as well. That kind, because it's a continuous process. You take several turns to reach the new level of information, then more turns to the next. And you're revealing uh, information bits by bits. So you can imagine that there are probes being sent. You just don't manage them directly. Hmm. So is, it, you could see it like Is that a, t- a technology that you develop through the game, or is that just an early game technology and, and use it, and then it becomes not so useful once you have ships that can just fly there faster? Well, interestingly, we didn't feel, feel the need, at least yet, to, to link to link that with the technology. But we could. I mean, it's not. It's linked with the, with the social engineering aspect. So, if you are a, an explorer type more of civilization, then you get perks to 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 make uh, remote exploration faster, or to, or even to 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 do t- two at the same time. So. We thought that will probably fit there better in the in the way that your civilization likes to explore and expand on space. I mean, are you an explorer? Then okay, then you you are going to invest in telescopes and in probes, and you are going you are going to see the universe from afar. Uh, so that 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 we felt that, but technologically, we didn't feel that. But I, I admit that it's quite obvious to make that link. Then you'll have better telescopes and better technology so we'll see maybe maybe there will be a technology as well but for now you, no it's a it's a complete system that it's outside of the technology it's linked again with the culture system if your civilization is explore an explorer technology no. you just take those turns and to to reach those levels of, of knowledge and it's uh, independent of how of the technology you have, at least at the moment. So, do you have uh, like different victory conditions based on what culture you have? Like an explorer type race, uh, once they've explored enough stuff and and managed to just not get killed, you know, do they win or something? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, the victory conditions right now are the traditional. Uh, conquer uh, the map thing and uh, we plan to do the, the election uh, type of diplomacy victory where if you are elected then you win uh, like, like in Master of Orion 2 or in other games and then we have uh, two other uh, systems in mind for the for two other victory condition types one that probably will not be done for release and probably only for the DLC related with the game story. Uh, but uh, the other one, is, uh, we, we'll try to, to explore a new way for victory conditions in this type of game. Because they, they aren't very good, usually, uh, if not playing bad in, in all of these games. Um, because it's not really the quantity, it's really how will you do it, but then do you want to finish the game or not? Or I don't know, for one reason or the other, is really tricky to do this kind of monolithical victory conditions with, uh, okay, you have to explore everything or you have to colonize X amount of planets. Or So with that said, uh, maybe not these big uh, economical victories or technological victories, 
but maybe more on, on, on an achievement-based victory. We will try a bit with that. You see, yeah. like, uh, you have to do this, this, and that, and then you you win. Uh, and you maybe you have several options or that you pick or that are thrown at you that, um, or that are always there. And we can toy, toy around with that and see if it works in this kind of game so that people know, have a goal, and say, well, if I do this, then I win. Maybe they are happy to do that, or maybe they will switch that off. Yeah, um, I've always wanted to play a pacifist race that had a victory condition called we're still here. You know, you're 400 turns in the game. Hey, we're still here. All oh, right, sure. You, yeah, you could add that as well. Or a time victory or, or, or embedded in these type of achievements. Well, that's sort of like the the one city challenge in the civilization games. You start out with one city and that's all you get. Mm-hmm. And you you ha- your civilization is stuck to that city. You could destroy other cities from other civilizations, but you still have to be standing at the end somehow. Yeah, you could have uh, an achievement of that sort. Yeah, yeah I'm still waiting. Have- I'm still waiting on somebody to make like a a Dune universe sort of four X where it's like there there's uh, uh, almost like a, Euro- a Europa Universalis where there <sighs> there's just here's the existing universe. But it's not like what Stellaris did because it would be, you know, more politics, right? So it's like if you're not one of the superpowers, it's it's just like, okay, we just continue to exist. Like no nobody's yeah. destroyed us yet. You know? No one is yeah. ever gonna make that. No one is ever gonna make that because all the pedants are gonna come out of the woodwork and just correct every little freaking thing. No yeah, no developer's gonna wanna touch that just to deal because they don't wanna deal with the community. <laughs> yeah, well I, well, I don't mean like you know Dune specifically or, or uh, almost but okay, like of- like one of well one of your favorite games, right? Emperor of the Fading Suns, like yes. that, right? Oh. It's like you could play like a minor kingdom in that, and it's like you're never going to sit on that throne, but just the fact that you're still there 400 turns later means that you did something, right? Interesting. S- sadly, that game was a flop. That's why we haven't seen many more games like it, which is such a crime. Yeah, <laughs> such a goddamn crime. I did want to ask about the uh, cultural stuff on each planet. Now, uh, the cultural stuff is uh, uh, empire wide, right? It's not specific, pl- specifically right. planet based, right? How does right. how does uh, that work exactly? Like, I know you can pick uh, boosts for your own uh, empire, but does that affect your relationship with other empires as well? Uh, it may. There are some perks. Uh, some of them are e- not even all implemented. So some perks, uh, cultural perks, are related to diplomacy that will grant you bonuses. And uh, and we also have an idea to make the uh, so the choices a bit like um, in conflict. So like if you pick something, you may get in trouble with another race. So yeah, that idea is is there. Uh, it's not yet there we are not there yet where the point where we will have conflict like in alpha centauri right you pick these and i pick that so we are enemies and we are enemies or we are friends because you are, you are also an environmentalist so that kind of mindset is what we have in mind for the future of the system right now it's really plain it's really you get that and you get that and you, get that. you cannot get everything and you can invest in culture to get more perks and they are like transversal, like horizontal to your empire. They give you bonuses to various types of areas. And um, the rationale for it was really 
when when I was thinking about it, I, re- I really like cultural systems from Alpha Centauri and uh, Civilization Five. I think they are great, uh, and I think this would work. Um, so I, I was thinking, well, why? I think this would be great if um, if this would represent how would civilizations uh, approach space exploration, or colonization. How would it be? Uh, would they go? Why are they going? Why are we going uh, to space? I was trying to to reply to these existential questions about space. So wh- why culturally, like, right? Why are we going? And where? And what? And what areas are more appealing to us? So I thought these three areas of the cultural system were possibly the three main reasons why we go and explore and call into space. Which is we go there because of the knowledge because we want to know, because we want even to learn and to apply and to fix things here. So this this is mostly NASA thinking thing, right? We go for the knowledge and for the science. So that's the knowledge tree. And then you have, no, okay, no, we prefer to go because economically it makes all the sense. So it's asteroid mining, it's space tourism, it's the exploitation of planets, it's that kind of mindset. And then you have the other one, which is, no, we, we just go because it's there. It's the adventure, the pioneers, it's the frontier. So we go because that's what drives us. And then this will be, I think, interesting to see the dynamics of each race, which prefers what. And um, and also your chance to role play a bit to see, well, I'm, I, I want to really exploit things this time. I really want to get get to the money, get to, to the exploitations, or I want to Let's go for the adventure and let's go to be friends with the other races or for the knowledge because we are not interested really in other races. We just want to do our own thing and just get the information and maybe apply it on our own race and our own world and and improve our lives. This was the rationale behind the cultural system and, and, the, imp- and the, the effects it has in the game and the long-term idea, as you say, of... Uh, if you pick these, then you may upset some guys. And if you pick that, so like you are not a big explorer like me, you are an exploit. So we don't like you so much. So that that's the idea. Yeah. So are you going to do any mm. anything with like a trade culture where, um, like a a particular race would want to be like a, a dominant business? Yeah. People? That that will go in the in the wealth tree. So that will go in the exploitation wealth uh, rationale. Okay. So that will go in the middle um, of the tree, and we may expand uh, the trees with more perks. These are there as a work in progress to see what the people say. Some people, uh, we are quite happy with the feedback so far because uh, at the beginning people were saying, well, but I, I always pick the same ones, which I think are the best. But then it was curious to see other people saying, no, I pick the other ones and they are the best <laughs> for me. So it's really it's coming along. So we may have more perks. Yeah, I really like how it adds kind of a like you mentioned a role playing element uh, mm-hmm. to the game. Which, civilization, right? Because really, there isn't a. I think where a lot of these four um, X games fail is character, character in the races, mm-hmm. character in your emperor. You know, and, and adding that kind of element that allows you to tweak your your. Uh, your empire as you go really just adds a bit of flavor that I think a lot of Forex games are lacking, yeah. you know, which is, which is nice oh, to yeah. see. 
they can give you some starting perks, but then you don't really everything else you gain, like technology you gain during the game. That's fine, but it doesn't actually add personality to exactly. your exactly. your chosen race because those aren't perks. You have to decide between one type of perk or the other, and that is that's an actual meaningful choice. I think again, that's one of the reasons Alpha Centauri has always done so well is because the uh, the different factions. Since you brought it up, I thought about this. The different factions have such personality. You know, they're just so yeah. different. And this and this uh, this perk system at least seems like a way that you can differentiate yourself from the other factions as the game goes on, which is really nice. Yeah. So what are you going to what are you going to do as far as um, like spying and that because. Yeah, it was. Um, I can't remember the name of the race and Master of Orion. The guys that were uh, Darlocks. Like the shadows, yeah, Darlocks. Um, are you guys going to have a mechanic that's that's something like that, where you can have people that are that are more uh, information broking type mm. guys? Yeah, more on the latter. Um, races we haven't uh, associated a race yet with like being espion uh, spy masters or something like. That. No, it's not yet decided that part. Uh, regarding espionage, what right now there's none yet, but there will be some sort of some some sort of mechanic um, at release. And what we are aiming to do is well not perhaps not the traditional way of doing espionage. Um, like you said, well we may have a race that specializes a bit, but not in the traditional way that you that you build your spies and you allocate them somewhere and they stay there and you build more and more and more. And then it's just a counter intelligence, intelligence thing. I, mean, I think that was done already. It was relatively well. I think it was done well in Master of Orion, perhaps more in one, I guess. But uh, um, what we'll do is something a bit more streamlined about the espionage, but still meaningful. And sabotage, by the way, which is oh, yay. to link it to link it with the leader system, it sounds odd, but to link it with... So you have your leaders, you will have your spies there. Your spy masters will be there. So maybe if you have spy master or you gain that skill, they will they can do stuff for you. So they, maybe the, you can... Uh, well, not send them away, but maybe assign them to some race or some other civilization or something to, to spy or to steal or to frame or to sabotage, that kind of thing. So... And to relate the two, relate the espionage system or to integrate it, like with the leader system. So with that, you'll have your traits, you'll have your skills in your leaders, and they will do the espionage for you and you will get your thing without having to manage tons of spies and having to check every time where they are. And so a bit more of a seamless, more streamlined experience, but again, always ensuring that you have the the nuts and bolts there of espionage, something that you decide, something that you maybe they will give you something for you to decide. Should I go? What should I do? Should I frame? Should I should I steal? And then as the skill progresses from basic advanced to expert, the leader may gain access to other uh, espionage options. So that's the plan. That's the design at the moment. It's not implemented yet, but that's where we uh, we are aiming to go. With espionage, sabotage, and framing. Yeah, I would like to see like a more of a manipulation sort of espionage in games. 
you know, where, where it's like, well, we're not, we're not blowing your stuff up or whatever, but we're, we're kind of uh, like screwing around with your culture or whatever, or, you know, like where, or you could get two, two other civilizations to go to war with each other hmm. and then oh, sit yeah. back and sell them stuff. Cause if I could put two people in financial distress and then I, I happen to be there as the bank, it's like, Oh, I'll, I'll make you guys a loan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's a possibility. And that's where the framing is. Where you'll try to find opportunities like those to start to blame uh, others and uh, to start wars or to, to, to have some effects at the distance by that uh, framing system. I don't know if it's a different skill or if it's part of it, if your spy master is an expert or not. But if I understood your your mm. question correctly, it was about that, right? To influence stuff and yeah. to, to frame others and at a distance, and cook something, cook right. things. Yeah, because it's a thing of, of maybe I want your culture to do something or to not do something. Mm. And and it's not necessarily that I want to destroy something that you have or steal something that you have. I just want I just want you to behave in a certain way. So if I can exert some pressure, mm. if I can exert some pressure on the AI, it's it's sort of almost like an extension of the diplomacy system. Yes, where where it's like, um, you know, it, in in normal diplomacy in these games, basically the only diplomacy that you have is I'm going to give you a pile of money and I want this in exchange. Or I'm not going to attack you as long as you do this. But there, but there's nothing more subtle that you can do. That that's more like, well, you know, may, maybe you should go colonize that planet over there, yeah. or or not colonize that planet. Because how many times have you seen, you know, you discover a planet and and it's like, oh, that's a perfect planet, and then they get a colony ship coming, and it's like, oh darn, now it's a race to see who's going to get it. And and if you could just like pay them to the, just like, hey, hey. Don't settle there. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I want that planet, but before, yeah. because if they take it, then you have to go and bomb them off of it or something. Yeah. It's something that I also enjoy that kind of, uh, um, control and possibilities, but, uh, in a way that it's not catastrophic for the correlations. Uh, otherwise what's the point? So I, and that's the problem I see usually in games that offer these cooperation possibilities or demand. But then the costs are just too much. And even if you are friends with someone, you cannot just demand nothing from them. I think that's an opportunity here. And that's one of the things we want to, to exploit in diplomacy is more cooperation actions that uh, are feasible, that are even with your friends or even you neutrals, but they are feasible, that they are not going to get upset immediately and just declare war. Right. So we are going to try cooperation for sure. It's a thing we want to explore. Oh, please, could you help me here? Or could we coordinate in going there? Oh, there are games that are doing that, of course. But I, I, I usually, we usually don't see that coming for reaching a, a satisfying conclusion. Something, oh, I'm really cooperating here. And they are not uh, pissed at me. And we are really exchanging information and ships. And perhaps I could send them a sector scanning information and or, or, or demand that they please don't go to that system because it's so great and you are friends. So why not? I mean, why, why would they immediately reduce to not friends or neutral? And then I think it's bad for the player because it, it doesn't feel in control. It's not having, it's not having fun. So I agree. Uh, yes, there it, must be ways more, more soft ways to, to do these things that are more effective. 
Yeah, things something that like to a lend lease actually would be interesting to see. The yeah, that you could you could lend them say ten frigates, mm-hmm. and in return they would give you access to uh, travel through their system through one of their systems, or you could use their system as a as a resupply base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and. Well, a thing that I that I haven't seen you know, is as far as making a game mechanic out of it. Um, so, if you had almost like like karma or goodwill with somebody that that was points, and it's almost like a currency, right? Like I've I've done this for them. I didn't ask for anything back, but what I get is I get this this friendship currency that I can spend later. It's so like okay, now basically. I want a favor. Yeah, it's pretty much influence where, where it's like, oh, I, well, I see you're at war here. I'll loan you some ships and those ships will cost you like one point of influence per turn. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I want to call a favor, then it, it's it's like, oh, well, now I've got this pool of influence points that I can spend to ask you to do things. And yeah. but they don't necessarily have to do it. But, you know, it, or they or the price of of doing it might be pretty extreme. But then with races where. um where you make them dislike you, you would go into debt in, in karma and then have to like dig out of the hole if you want to get back to peace with them. So you, you could just have, have a way of keeping track of that, you know, if it, cause a, a, a lot of games have had like an opinion slider. It's like, do they like me? Do they not like me? But that's not a tangible thing where I can say, okay, I got 10 points I can spend on something in diplomacy. Hmm. Yeah, I know that some games I've done that I've tried, or I don't know how successful, like Civilization Beyond Earth um, and others, I think, uh, uh, to use a pool of uh, influence as currency. The, the trouble there, as I see as a signing point of view, is if you, as you're we saying, they are not obliged, to do, but why not? I mean, if you have the influence, what decides they are going to do? Is it a random thing? But then the player will not understand that i mean why i have the influence we're friends why don't you do it so it's i think it's tricky mm. to do it like that but i understand the need to have some indicator that tells you well what you can do and what you can right and we were talking about uh, i mean like uh, can i demand these can i uh, without pissing them off so if you had these influence points you will know uh, you can spend them and you the, and the race will not go upset right that's, i guess that's a way I guess that would it would have to be reflected in the cost, right? Like, like I, I couldn't say, well, hey, I've I've got a little bit of influence, and I demand that you give me your home world. Mm-hmm. You know that that would be no, of course, of course. but but I could see that happening if I have saved them time and again from being destroyed, and and then I spend that influence to actually make them uh, like a, a vassal. Right, where it's like I'm not going to take over your your world or whatever, but we're going to just integrate you politically into my empire. Yeah, yeah Star Trek: Birth of the Federation did pretty much that. You could continually raise your reputation with a minor race, and then bring them into your empire as a vassal. Hmm. But in terms of this, I would see it working along the lines of what perks you have compared to the perks that the other race has. That would affect your costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like it's a, as opposed to something like uh, Dan G- DeChico's Star Drive Two, where opinion is is 
like, oh, they like me. That means they're going to wait three turns before they try to kill me. <laughs> and, you know, there's not a lot of diplomacy going on there. It's it's just like, are you killing me now or later? Yeah. And that's why um, it was a conscious design decision in diplomacy to capture that. Um, uh, so for the player to understand what's going on and what he can do and what, 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 what cannot be done, to be something that it's more discreet. So instead of having those points, we don't have that system of the influence points, but we have, what we have is this. If you are, uh, if we have a relation system, an opinion system, and, but if you reach a certain step, these are the things that you are allowed to do. You may not reach the step in every, the same way with every race. Some will be probably harder to get there, but when you get there, you can do it. So, if, for instance, if you reach um, pleased, you can make trade with them. If you reach friendly, you can trade mining rights. And if you reach congenial, you can do an alliance. Or even if you're friendly, you can research text with them. I know it sounds very discreet, but that's, that was a constant design decision. And we are going to try to see how it works it's to address that issue. That if the player has a certain relation, what are my options? So, here they are. You can initiate relations. You can exchange text. Maybe it will work. Maybe not. But you will be allowed to to do those those things. If you are not, if you don't have enough relations, then you don't need even need to worry about it, or to demand or to cooperate because it, it will not even be an option. It will. You see, uh, the problem in these in many games in diplomacy is this: is that you are a bit blind. You are like there. Well, I'll try this. I don't know if it will work, but I will try. And it will not. Tr- and it will not work often. And then you will see your relations decreasing, and you get frustrated. So to get rid of that indefinition, in we decided to go that way. So if you are friends, you can do these things. Okay. You are. Oh, you are friendly. You can cooperate in diplomacy and ask them to do stuff and synchronize uh, attacks and ask them to do, to declare war and that that kind of thing. So. My hope uh, in addressing what you're saying is that with this kind of more discrete system and that you see exactly what are your options with the other players, you will not need these um, point systems or guesswork. How can I make them do this? Uh, Now you know. You just have to work up the relations. There will be tools to do that. But But when you reach them, you know what you can do. Yeah, I like that a lot better than the uh, the classic diplomacy thing where where it's like, you know, I I pick up the phone and and call the Klingons and and I say, okay, I want I want you to share map data and I want you to give me that technology and then you and and you yeah and you hit the button and it and then the dice roll and oh it it happened or it didn't and and it's like no in real negotiations we would sit at the table until you know we worked it out right and and it, it might be like a haggling back and forth and but you don't see in any of this diplomacy stuff you don't actually see haggling in these games where where it's like you know offers and counter offers and and things and and you might you know if there was like a reputation system going on where it was points yeah you might have to spend points every round of negotiation but that doesn't mean it takes like an entire game turn to get it done kind of thing right yeah. so I don't know. It's it's just like it, it. It's a thing of of keeping it a game, and you know, like because these things. I mean, they they're they're fairly 
fairly board game sort of things. It's just, it's a board game that you would never want to actually try to play on a tabletop, right? Because the computer does all the accounting for you. Um, but, but it's not a thing of, of, you know, like more like real world politics where all the, all this stuff happens under the surface and nobody ever, nobody really knows why that actually happened except for the people that were in the room. And it's already pre-established rules and, conditions for you uh, because of relations. So you don't even have that option because of the current state. It's obvious that you don't have that option. Yep. So we, we decided that, way. okay, if you reach that kind of uh, relations, we, okay, now you have more options to explore and you can try. That's the same with, the, for instance, the, uh, what happens with the tech exchange. We don't allow you to, to exchange everything you want with them to exploit that's always a problem in this type of game so it's not like give me your t- give me your list i'll give you my list and i'll pick from there no we are going to explore more of uh, okay i have something for you we then imagine that there was some talk and then they say okay i can give you this are you interested or not or maybe i can give you a counter offer that's it i mean it's like a more like a real negotiation and an abstract one where things were said but you don't really have to pick everything and again guess if that will work, <laughs> no. In these, you will say, I'll give you this. What can you give me? And yeah. then the options are presented to you. This is not new. This was done in Alpha Centauri, and I really like that system. I give you these. What can you give me? And he says, well, maybe not. Maybe nothing, because I don't have or because um, it's not worth it uh, for, for what you say, for what you offer. Yeah, and when uh, you're but, done with this game, if you would do a remake of Alpha Centauri, that would be really nice too, because that's that's another game that nobody can seem to get right. Even Sid Meier himself can't get that game right. Try, yeah, trying to come around. I'm sure. Time. I'm sure he wasn't that involved. I thought Pandora maybe, came. I thought Pandora came. Sorry. Oh, uh, I like I, I like that game a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I thought Pandora, Pandora pretty close. That, I thought yeah, it really hit, close. It hit some yeah, some some really good stuff. Um for a game of itself. Well, it's good that it's a game on itself. So it's really a, it's a, a spiritual successor, I guess. Admitted or not, but it is. And they did a good job, I think. Well, maybe the races are not as charismatic and it's not identifi- as identifiable and doesn't have all those voiceovers and those wonder videos and that uh, flavor text in the diplomas are not yeah. as good. Right. Okay, so right. and that was a big part. We cannot. We have to acknowledge that that was a big part of what made Alpha Centauri great. I mean, let's face it, gameplay is important, but but uh, graphics and the user interface mostly graphics and fluff and character also count a lot. So do we really need one? I don't know. Maybe. Um, yeah, because the war stuff one. was powerful in that, you know, where yeah, it's, it yeah, but, but the, the one thing that always has bothered me about those kind of games, I mean, it, it, as far as a, a game to be a game, I, I can completely respect it, you know, but as far as actually, if you imagine like, okay, there's a bunch of colonists that went to this planet. Are they really going to bring their baggage from earth? You know, it's, it, it's because it's like everybody landed and then they became an extremist of a particular political philosophy hmm. you know, and, and it's like, well, yeah, okay. That's human nature, I, I guess, but it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm happy for them. Like, you know, all the communists found each other and, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it was a bit like Alpha Centauri. So, right. It was, it, 
it wasn't probably as characterized as Pandora. Pandora was really, really obvious. Who was what? The wealth guy, the the war guy, the religious guy. But Alpha Centauri, you could also identify fairly well. But they were more nuanced, I think. And mm. that's where the character comes. It's not easy, so Brian did a great job. I, uh, I always not easy it. to do. I always enjoyed playing the eco-terrorist faction. It's like, we're going to hug the trees and therefore we must kill yeah. you all. Yeah, it was really believable. I mean, I don't know how it did it. Uh, it, really, it really did a fantastic job. Yeah, and I, I also like being able to design your own units to the detail that you could in that thing, too. And uh, another thing that was really nice about Pandora is apparently they exposed a, a large amount of the AI where it was uh, like fan editable. I can't remember the guy's name, but mm-hmm. uh, he, he went in and did like a, just a masterful rework of that AI. Yeah. And then he's working on some game. Now, I guess he got hired by a Dominus Galaxia. Dominus Galaxia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a master so, of Orion one homage. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and by God, the AI better be good <laughs> because if he's working on it, uh, in the latest, yeah, there's ba- no excuse. And in the latest beta, <laughs> sorry, be important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the latest beta, it's got something called dynamic AI, which I don't think I've ever seen. And you could select the like normal, hard, easy type of AI, but you can also select dynamic AI. I mm. haven't tried that yet. I'm a little afraid to, honestly. <laughs> but it's a neat that there's an option. <laughs> You know, I'm, I keep waiting on that expert system AI where it's actually like the AI that plays the game against you is a cloud-based AI that's playing against everybody and it's learning from every game that it's in. And then it just becomes a complete bastard. You know, <laughs> you'd have to tone it down. Yeah. Because if, if it learns from... Well, it's like, did, did you see the, the AI project? It was uh, Elon Musk funded it where they taught an AI. Well, the AI taught itself, basically. They taught it how to learn, and they put it in a, a game of Dota 2 yeah. against itself, and it played itself millions of games, and then it came out, and it was beating people in the tournament one-on-one. Yeah. And it was, it was doing... What was scary about that is it was doing, like, super advanced tricks that only people who are, like, masters of that game actually do, and it learned it on its own just from observing and trial and error. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's I, a I read it, too. Of, a division of uh, AI, which is the machine learning, so it's applying that. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can implement a, a system like that uh, that learns from what you do and uh, sees what worked and what didn't work and but this must be done massively so you have you need lots and lots of data but with that data if it's a lot and you see well that strategy didn't work and that worked uh the ai will start to see patterns in it and it will start to go after what uh, what provides the best results so it's like a brute force approach but intelligently right like in it tries many, many times and collects as much data as possible with uh, as much agents as po- human agents or others as possible. That's what you're saying, like in a cloud, like it's trying many types of players or the bots. Um, and, w- uh, and in theory, that's what machine learning gives you. After a while and with enough data, you will start to see the patterns and we'll go with the opti- you will go in the optimal path. 
and and beat the the most the least experienced. But now, as it seems, even the most experienced. Right? And you can do this in small scale if you. Yeah, just for instance, you want for to these do. kind of games, yeah. Yeah, or or even just to trap human behavior, right? Where where mm-hmm. you get, um, let's say, uh, people play. Well, let's make it easier than your game. If it was, if it was fixed races, right? Like Star Trek races. Mm. So you would, so the, the system could look at like all the players who, who play Klingons, how do they play? What's their tendencies and stuff. And kind of uh, like build a Klingon opponent that is a collection of all the humans that have played Klingons. And it's not the AI figuring it out. It's just documenting the, the trends of mm-hmm. the people. So then it would become like the player base would determine the personality of that race based on how they all use it. So it, it it's almost like playing a, a game in single player that's actually against the multiplayer collective personality of everybody. Yeah, yeah in theory, it can be done and it, it has been done. But as Hugo was saying, it can also be done in... Uh, in small scale, if you want. I mean, it's not excluded immediately that we will not try something like that. Uh, right now, it's working well with uh, with standard approaches for like, AI implementation, but it's not uh, excluded the possibility to use that for, for instance, ship design or combat, or we could try. I mean, we, we both have a background in artificial intelligence, so we, we know and we have already worked with that, uh, in particular, in machine learning. And yeah. uh, data mining, so well, it's it, something it, that we sometimes say, well, we could, why not? We could try. You'll see. Well, that's the thing, like you bring up ship design, right? Like if, if I was making a game where you had designable ships, um, I don't know that I would trust myself to actually make mm-hmm. the ships mm-hmm. that were that were good, right? Because I might make them thematic or whatever, but then you get some player that comes along that, that crunches the numbers and min-maxes the ships, and then like all my cool ships are, are just worthless against a human player because, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, design that optimally or whatever. But then if, as the designer, if you have to design against that min max player, then it's kind of like, well, you're going to lose your thematic thing as well because, you know, so it, it just brings like a weird balance thing to the table. So I could see like crowdsourcing that out, right? It's kind of like if you if you put restrictions like this this type of race can only really use these kind of things on their ship, but I'm not going to tell you what the best stuff is. You know, like go play a million games of this and we'll see what actually worked. Because um, like going back to Star Drive Two again, right? Because those are complicated ship designs, and the uh, the ability to make a non optimal ship in there is great, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, and that's, I, I guess the thing that he did was, was design the ship designer first and just run a ton of combat in there. Cause it, it's, it's just like uh, either my ships are, are, are terrible or they're way better than what's there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we went to, with, with, um, with, um, simplification of masters. Uh, so you, you choose, uh, your weapons and you have some modifications you can apply and um we we adam can can explain better this but uh, we didn't want to 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 create a complex ship design system here no uh, the idea was not to complicate for sure the the master of orion one and two systems mm-hmm. no uh to streamline to update is uh, 
user interface to make it more appealing and more easier to use, for sure. And then, but yeah, basically it is a very similar system. The ship mm. design is a very, there are some nuances, new things like, for instance, modifications you can apply to the armor or to the shields. Like the shields, you can choose fa- specific facings uh, or you can, and the armor, you can choose to strengthen the armor or, or lighten the armor. And in the engines, you also can pick maneuverability that we that we got from Master of Orion One. We picked that from there. So we again, okay, we did a, some kind of a merging here, Master of Orion One and Two, for a system that was n- not going to be more complicated than it was, and with a sprinkle of those uh, interesting decisions that you can context decisions that you can do. Okay, and I want my armor to be heavier, so I know that I will have. It will be more expensive, and I will have less space. And, and in the, the in the shields, well, I'm trying my I'm going to try my luck. So I'm going only with forward shields. Uh, maybe they will not get very fancy on their strategy and try to corner me or something. So these were the kind of, that was the mindset. Keep the basics, and then add these decisions, high level decisions to armor shields, and keep the modifications on the weapons, of course, which is a great feature from so- Master of Orion to like you can shield pierce or you can armor pierce or or you can do triple damage or more range or uh, so we kept all of that so that's a that's a lot more interesting than oh well i i have blue lasers and then i i research lasers again and now i have green lasers but the no. only difference is that they're green and they do one more damage yeah that and then was the next, another you know so you get plus 1 plus 2 plus 3 so you just get like a linear progression of stuff and that's you know, a player needs to see some progression as they go, but uh, it gets kind of boring if it's just like laser plus three. Yeah. So to being able to actually stick effects on it is really cool. Yeah, you have these modifications, and uh, certainly you have uh, better weapons uh, as you go, but not necessarily more damage. Uh, we we took a nod also from Master of Orion 2 and the, and the decisions to make them more meaningful strategy. And so you uh, almost all of the weapons have some particularity, have some side side special effects, something that maybe they don't do as much damage, but they have another effect. Uh, the the parad- paradigmatic example is the neutron uh, uh, gun or uh, that uh, kills your Marines, but uh, but does less, does less damage. So it's a, it's a trade-off. You have to. It's a more advanced weapon, but maybe it does. It is not. It, it doesn't inflict more damage just because it's more advanced. Maybe it has another, another, um, another effect. So that was the mindset. Um, that's always more interesting than linear progression. Yeah, all weapons are different, uh, different names, etc. So yeah, we will not have uh, different colors or different. Well, it depends. It depends on the system. I will not deny that there are other parts where we go with the one, two, three approach. I mean, in the shields, for instance. But that's a design decision because we thought that fit better with the, with the gameplay system to go with better shields. Uh, there's no point. We didn't see a point in making them special in some way because that would first confuse the system and then go in another direction that we didn't want. So, okay, if it's just better shields, then we'll just go with it. It's just like Masters did. and But it, they did right, I think, in that, in that sense. And, well, not that they did right, but I think we are going to do right 
uh, as well because uh, we just need better shields. It will cost more and take more space. So here you have. You have to make your decision. In yeah, the weapons, it's sense. a bit different. Yeah, in the weapons, it's a bit different. It's more. Uh, it gives you more character to to have um, to have them do different things, and you have your beams, you have your kinetics, your missiles. Each has its own modifications, its own ranges, its own uh, special abilities at close range and long range. Uh, so we thought that would be would fit better in the shields. Okay, we go with different shield facings. That's the flavor, and uh, and better or worse shields. So, so is there any kind of uh, like combined arms stuff with the ships? Like um, if, if I had a, a ship that could specialize in, say, anti-missile, but not just for itself, but it would cover other ships that are with it kind of thing so that, so they could have roles within a formation? Well, uh, from the top of my head, maybe only if you have carriers with fighters, you could do a bit of that and protect in a to to gain uh, protection against other fighters or other or specials somewhere yeah yeah well, it's, what what brings that up right I, I was i was thinking about what the what a horror of uh, endless space one was in ship design while while you were talking about how you'd simplified your ship design i i was just thinking well endless space one endless space two they fixed it thank god but in endless space one it, it was just like well a ship is a box it can hold 20 things. So do you want to put 20 of this gun or, you know, what, what ratio of stuff do you want to stick in here? And it didn't really give a lot of guidance about that. Um, and then I found out later, like if, if you put like anti-missile defenses on a ship, I didn't need to put a bunch of them. I could have one and it could fire for four other ships. So if I had one of these, you know, every fifth ship was an anti-missile ship that would defend all my ships. And and it's like, well, you didn't explain that. <laughs> it was it was like I read a guide somewhere on on Steam, I think, where somebody was explaining that. And it's just like I've been playing this game for years, and and I had no idea that that's how that worked. And I and I was always for as simple as that ship design stuff seemed to be, I was terrible at it um, because it just didn't give a lot of guidance about about like if you have this many of this thing on the ship, then it provides you know th- this ratio of benefit. Or not, you know, it's like, well, I, I put a bunch of shields. I never needed that many, you know, I, I could have got away with a lot less. Um, and then in the new system, they've got just slots on the ship. So it's like, if it's a destroyer, yeah, you get like two guns, right? So pick what your mm-hmm. guns are going to be, as opposed to, well, a destroyer is 40 units of space. Just put whatever you want in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but then to look at um, what what I think, which game I think did the coolest ship design was uh, Sword of the Stars, the original one, mm-hmm. because it was modular. It, it's just like, I want to stick this nose, this engine, and this midsection together yeah. to make a ship. And, the, and it had limited slots on there. So so it was kind of like it gave me some freedom, but a battleship's a battleship. It's, it's you know, <laughs> it's it's going to do what a battleship does. So, yeah, it's... It, it's uh, I'm I'm encouraged to to hear you guys have streamlined the ship stuff down mainly because it means that I can make less mistakes. 
So yeah, yeah. <laughs> any anything I, I, that helps me not be dumb is, is yeah. Good. I liked it too. I liked it too in Sword of the Stars and even in Sword of the Stars too. For as many problems that game had, I think the many of the systems were really. Good. One of those was the ship designer. I really liked to to, to design my ships. Well, I, I didn't like m- many other things, but I think the system was very good. I think they picked up from the first. Yes, it, you had your modules and picked your stuff. You were constrained. Um, you knew what you were doing. You were putting your weapons. You were putting your systems and even your modules. It was a very interesting idea to put different roles according to the modules you put. So, yeah, we... What we aimed was to, as as you say, to streamline it a bit and constrain it in the sense that what you put, you you will get. It's a different way. I, I understand and respect other games that just go the other way, give more freedom in the sense mm-hmm. that, well, you can just put everything you want in there and then hope that it works and that's you. And for the most part, it does. It, it, it is a, also a good system. But no, we went the other way. So it's more streamlined and constrained. So what you put in there, you only put you only put as many as you need. You cannot put two systems that will do the same. If you put choose that system, that system is picked. If you put that weapon, you can put more weapons, of course. But you, it will always give you a benefit, and you will be in control of what you're doing. And for the most part, I think it uh, it works. Uh, speaking I mean, of uh, speaking of streamlining, uh, since you guys have launched in uh, crowdfunding, I guess you'd call it. It's not really Steam early access; it's crowdfunding. Well, it's you could say it's pre-orders, pre-order, pre-order. crowdfunding, alpha funding. I guess. Yeah. Uh, how how has the feedback been uh, in terms of helping you make the game more streamlined and more effective for players? How has the feedback oh, from the community been so far? It's as every dev will tell you, and it's true. Now I know from the inside, it's really great, and I can't even know who will do it uh, without feedback. So that was one of the main reasons. That, of course, we also it's also great to have some funds, extra funds to to apply to the art and um, to, to buy better graphics models and cutscenes. But the the big uh, the important thing is also was also to get people inside. Um, the game to, to provide early feedback because if you look, uh, I mean, it's just tiny things, but overall, all these things add up, and in the end, it's completely it's a completely different experience. I mean, in the beginning we focused on the gameplay. Of course, we were not worried too worried about the user interface, but you have to at some point. And so our VIP group uh, helped us tremendously with that, and now more people are coming. Uh, every day and helping now in a different way because the user interface is now it's okay i mean it's not great but uh, and we can talk a bit more about that what we plan to do in the near future and and in the future about the user interface it's okay now i mean people don't complain too much about it but it was really invaluable without them i don't think it's really feasible for uh, just uh, one or a couple of guys to to develop something that will be polished by for a release without the support of 50 100 or more if possible 200 people to get all the i mean it's as i say sometimes it's simple things other other times it, it's not and it's changes that really have an impact but you really really have to listen because 
it's really invaluable. So I cannot thank enough to our VIP group and to the, all the people that pre-order because all their feedback has been valuable uh, to the and success so far. So what, because uh, you mentioned UI changes, because I really like the UI, but you uh, sound like you wanted to talk more about that. So what is coming up in, because uh, if I remember correctly, isn't the next version going to have a kind of a refresh of the UI? Of the, of the UI? Yep, yep. We're, we're finishing testing the, the, um, the, the revamp of the, of the UI. Uh, uh, first, our objective was to, to link the UI with the game mechanics that Adam designed, and um, I think we're getting there. And then now we're, we're going through the, through the um, beautification <laughs> that exists. Uh, of, the, of the UI <laughs> and to create a style, uh, a concept uh, around the, the around it, and um, now we are starting really, really uh, thinking about uh, about the the polishment, not the final polishment for 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 beta or or, or final, but um, to start the concept, to start thinking about the concept of the of the game of the the UI. That's and now in the following time uh, following weeks a new release will be will be launched with um, a completely new um, look <laughs> like, I, like, I can't wait to see it so right now uh, what are like the big things on your roadmap between say now and beta between now and release what are some of the big milestones you want to hit uh, along the way to release would you say yeah well, now clearly we want to include all the all the gameplay features that are still left to, to implement, namely ground combat, bombardment, um, yeah, race customization. Yeah, it will be great. I hope. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, as a race customization, the espionage mechanic I was talking about. I mean, most of the things are designed, but they are not implemented yet. Ground combat has started right now, for instance. Um, Complete the AI. I mean, not complete, but advanced. Now I would say the AI is about a third of, of its potential. So we, we plan to, in the next... So these are all in the lines of the next few months, like three or even, okay, to the end of the year. We plan to, to be implementing all the... Or to finish adding all the, the gameplay features and to advance the AI to two-thirds. Potential. Then the AI will be at full potential on your release. That its public will be um, hopefully in the in the end of next year, in the end of 2018. So the next mi- big milestone will be we'll see if we will do some kind of crowdfunding, so Kickstarter or Indiegogo. So Kickstarter is probably out of the window because I don't know what happens with our government, but it really scared uh, the Kickstarter guys. I don't, I don't have a clue why. I mean, Spain is there, Italy, France, Ireland, you name it, but Portugal is not. I think we may we may have to give them a call or something. Yeah. Um, so we cannot do Kickstarter at the oh. moment. We'll see, maybe not. But we may, we can do Indiegogo principle. So we, we probably do that. Uh, why? Well, it's more exposure, a bit more funding. It's I mean, we are we are acquiring models. We are acquiring. We are paying artists that are all contractors. Uh, 
uh, Hugo is uh, coordinating all that and doing some of the stuff himself. But we we will need we will need some more funding before because it's tricky because the next milestone after that will be Steam. Uh, we will we want to be in Steam early access. We, uh, it's not completely yet decided, but uh, we want to be there. We want to be in Steam early access to to benefit from. But as we all know, it's uh, uh, it, 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 there are drawbacks. You have to be careful with what you put there. Otherwise, you know. Uh, you will get bad reviews just because something or because. So we will be implementing a tutorial system that it's not there yet. So a nice one, one that is contextualized, one that provides you hints, one that it doesn't oblige you to read walls and walls of text. We are, we know that. I mean, we've been we've been reading that for forever. We've been doing that forever. So we'll try to do our best with the tutorial, and then when when we have all these. Uh, features, uh, more feedback, and uh, the, the revamped user interface that is going right now, and will be published. That I think looks great. I think Google did a fantastic job on the on the style, very futuristic style. Uh, I personally, I'm always that guy that well, that doesn't matter right now. Well, now it starts to matter. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, the game is open for pre-order. Big <laughs> very big discussions. So, yeah, we wanted to <laughs> get the gameplay right. But that is a time where you really need to put the, user, the, the usability there. Because without there, the VIPs and the pre-order guys will just don't understand the game, and that's the problem. So that's why we are revamping it now, so that people can have an even more friendly UI, more pleasing experience. And so with all that, the revamped UI, the new features, the tutorial... Um, I think we will be finally in position, and let's see if we do crowdfund to to go to Steam Early Access, and then we'll go there and plan to go there, plan to stay there for six to nine months. Uh, we'll see, depending on when we enter there. We'll be probably next year, but when I don't know. Maybe in the winter or in the spring, and then we'll we'll we plan to stay there for six to nine months to get all the support. And feedback from mm. from a bigger crowd for all, all all other types of bugs and problems, hardware, etc. So right. that's really the plan. That sounds like a healthy uh, healthy um, roadmap. Uh, so uh, it sounds like about two years out for uh, roughly till final release, which sounds pretty healthy and reasonable. Yeah, we're still in pre-alpha, right? And the reason why we say it's pre-alpha is because because it's not so usual, probably. But in any case, pre-alpha because yeah, I mean the game is not complete right now, so and it's not just tiny bits. Uh, if it was just tiny bits, it's okay, and you could call it alpha by all means. But to, but no, I mean there's no race customization there. There's no espionage, ground combat, and bombardment. So it is pre-alpha. It is what it is. So, but we plan to be on alpha around Steam time, Steam early access time. We'll probably get an alpha, and then beta, beta at some point uh, down the road, probably on the summer, and then release at the end of the of the year. That sounds perfectly reasonable. Uh, we do have to start wrapping up, so let me just throw this out there, folks. The game is Interstellar Space Genesis, and you can get it uh, by going to interstellarspacegame.com. Uh, the pre-alpha is twenty four ninety five. Right now, that'll get you. Uh, that'll get you f- all future versions of the game. That'll get you a Steam key. Yada yada yada. Right now, it's on humble, 
So you get a no, humble not Steam key yet. Oh no! Well, no. When when the Steam keys are available, I mean, oh, yes. When they're available, you will get one. I apologize. I should have been clear. No, sorry. Yeah. Yes. But uh, plus, you get uh, like five points of uh, influence with the Antarans if you pre-order. There you go. But uh, yeah, folks, I've been I've put about a little more than an hour or so into the game so far, and even though, as Adam was saying, there's stuff that isn't there. It's still a fairly complete experience. It still feels really nice. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to watching this game, um, watching this game evolve over the next year and a half to two years uh, before it hits release. Uh, and I really like how you guys are, even though you say, and everyone says they're trying to do Master of Orion, they're like an homage to Master of Orion 2. You guys are really trying to do something different here, uh, which is nice. You're not just trying to be Master of Orion 2. Um, so that is, real, that is really nice. Because everyone else just... Yeah. Even, even Master of Orion Conquer the Galaxy tried to be Master of Orion 2. And uh, it couldn't even <laughs> succeed at mimicking yeah. itself. <laughs> Basically. How I like to, to see it, the vision, I would like to see it and transmit to our viewers is... As it all started, is what will the Master of Orion series game could look now? I mean, that was the official one, of course, but how will it look uh, now without that, without those gameplay fundamentals uh, that uh, Master of Orion Two had? What what will it be today? Of course, when you have a uh, uh, not an official sequel, but when you have an official sequel to Civilization, for instance, you don't have that the same. Game. Of course, the fundamentals are the same. But then you tweak and you change and you experiment with new things. So the idea is to keep the fundamentals in and we'll be very strict about it because that, that's, I think, where the problem usually is. People get to stray from, from the fundamentals like turn-based tactical combat, ship design, uh, free space-based movement with the range uh, limitations, so not star, no star lanes. Uh, leaders, very important. Some games have, some don't. We will have deep colony management with a deep uh, terraforming system. You will see all be- your buildings there. You will see your colony to get in touch with your with your colony. And you will have your race customization also not present in, in, in many uh, games like these. And you will have your espionage and sabotage. Maybe not the, the exact same, but you will have. So with these fundamentals and with what sets us apart, so the, the new stuff, like the remote exploration we talked about, or the deeper terraforming mechanics where you will be able to terraform your planets or evolve them, uh, uplift them, a social engineering system, cultural system that we discussed, uh, the expanded leader system that doesn't, ha- doesn't have only skills and are randomly upgraded. No, you have traits, you have desires, they will ask you stuff to do, there will be implications, the, they will have an opinion about you. They may defect. They may sabotage your stuff. Uh, so, in you, but if you meet their demands, they will, they will give you further benefits. And then we'll have other tweaks and other changes in the combat. We'll keep the basics of the turn-based combat, but we'll have a power overload mechanic that will allow you to, well, I will, again, another decision of, I will locate more power to weapons or to shields or to engines and get a, a bonus on that. And then you have a cooldown. And so our hope is that with this mix of keeping the fundamentals and innovating in special areas that give something new to the player, uh, that we will please the, the, 
the people that were demanding this type of game for a long time. Yeah, if you can make your if you can make your turn based combat play just like the new Battlestar Galactica game, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe that would love Deadlock. Oh my god, yeah, it's so good. If you guys haven't played it, uh, so yeah, yeah, I have to check it. Yeah, it's so, so good. just to finish that, uh, it's sure. What we're trying to do is really the one third rule. The one third rule of Sid Meier is you want when you make a sequel or an evolution of something, you want to one third you want to keep the same. Uh, one third you want to improve, and one third you want to do new. So that's Ooh. what we are aiming here to do. I like that. I don't know if I. That's heard better that than the. That's better than the EA one third rule. It's one third of the games in the DLC. <laughs> we plan to have. We plan to have DLCs. There's nothing wrong with. There's nothing wrong with DLC as long as you don't charge the amount of the game for a season pass for the DLC. <laughs> Wow, these games are hard. I mean, I will not no, say I know, that I know, the I game know. will not. It's they are hard to get right. So oh yeah, we have to do our road. But I can already tell you guys are on the right track. So uh, I'm I'm really excited because I, I just love how you keep exploration going. That just makes me so excited because I just love exploration so much. So yeah, that just I mean, me people so are excited. reporting people are reporting ending games and even planets being discovered, being popped up at them. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you can. It's possible. <laughs> you yeah, well, can bring exploration to the very end. I, uh, I just so like seeing. Will there be an exploration victory condition where, say, mm-hmm. be the first race to have eighty-five percent of the galaxy fully scanned? It could be an achievement. That, as I said, we were work. We are still working on it. The system, but we're really keen on on doing that. And that that at some point, it could be an achievement well, that you I, I fulfill and you win. Of- I was thinking in terms of also you have information brokers. You know, you can you can be the race that's an information broker where you're buying information about these yes. these scans and then you're selling them to other races because they also want to win too. Uh, yes, that's also one of the uh, possible features is to trade sector information. Yeah, and you could do that. You could share information uh, among uh, among other races. And if there's an achievement uh, victory condition for that, then yes, you you in principle we could do it. Glad to hear it. All right, folks, we do need to wrap up. We have a hard stop in a few minutes, um, but I want to okay. thank uh, Adam and Hugo for taking the time to join us to talk about uh, your game. It, I gotta say again, I the time I've put into it has been really enjoyable. It's it's been fun decisions almost every turn, you know. Fun decisions almost every turn, uh, just really fun stuff. So, folks, just to wrap up, a couple programming notes. First, if you uh, haven't seen on the social media, we are running a contest right now where you can win a copy of Thirty Thirty Death War Redo. Uh, it comes out, I believe, tomorrow. Tomorrow or Thursday, as I, as we Probably. record this, yeah, it comes out of it comes out of early access tomorrow or Thursday. I think tomorrow, and uh, I've got some keys to give away. So if you want to enter, head over to our Steam forums and uh, check out how you can enter. I'll be giving one away for every entry next week, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, on Thursday for uh, the land party, we're going to be giving Section Eight Prejudice a try. Uh, that has been requested numerous times, surprisingly. <laughs> I thought the game was dead, we, but apparently need, it still we works. We did the sound effect from Altered Beast, where it's like, rise from your grave. 
Right. Apparently, multiplayer still works. Apparently, the game for Windows Live servers is still running. Apparently, it's still multiplayer still works. So we're going to give it a shot. And then next week, we are back for the podcast at our usual time of 5.30 p.m. Pacific to talk to the developer of a game we all really like around here, uh, the uh, fast-playing card game Solar Settlers is who we're talking to next week. So that's going to be fun. We all really enjoy that game. Uh, but yeah, finally have that settled. <laughs> but yeah, folks, again, the game we're talking about today is called Interstellar Space Genesis. Again, you can go to interstellarspacegame.com to buy into the pre-alpha for $24.95. Uh, it already feels pretty complete. And again, there are some things missing. It's a pre-alpha. Please go in knowing that it's very, 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 very early access. <laughs> But uh, it still feels really nice. It is really fun to play. So, uh, Adam and Hugo, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll have to revisit uh, with you guys uh, maybe next year once the game hits Steam or hits beta. Uh, we'll have to It'll circle back. Yeah, yeah we'll, have oh, to, absolutely. we'll have to circle back and see how things are going. Uh, but it's been great talking great to you. So, so, folks, thank you so much for uh, listening and watching on the stream. And we will see you next week. Have a great one, folks. Bye-bye.